This is the message from Connection Community Church for this Sunday, February 9th, 2014. I am not a fan, the cost. The cost of discipleship, that's our focus this morning as we consider week two of our series, I'm not a fan this week, the cost. Good morning, Connection Community Church. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And it is great to be home. It's awesome. We had a great time. Two Sundays away, we heard that Lori Brown and Mike Osmond just hit home runs. We're thankful. Yeah, yeah. So how many, buddy, how many people here think God is good? Yeah. Okay, let me tell you just how good God is right now. So we're on this ship, we're heading to Tampa, it's the middle of the night, going to get home on Sunday at 8 o'clock so we could hit our 12 o'clock flight home. And so God created this big fog that enveloped the ship and the ship couldn't go any further and we were stuck in the Caribbean, we missed our flight, 5,000 people were late. And we got to spend two and a half days with my dad in Florida. Woo! I think God was so creative. You know, I was kind of missing mom. And so it just was awesome. God is awesome. (laughs) We are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that from all of us? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. It's a day that you've made, a day where we can come together and lift our voices and worship your name and hang out with you and with one another. God, I would ask that you would settle us in right where we are as we reflect on the scriptures and what they mean in our lives and how we can apply them in our lives. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. And everybody gathered said, Amen. Amen. And so as we said last week, a fan is an enthusiastic admirer, uh, and Jesus had and has a lot of fans, a lot of people who celebrate who Jesus is and what he did and what he said. You know, they turn to him, (coughs) excuse me, in times when things get tough, and they sing his praises when, uh, when things are good. But the challenge is they're just watching him from the sidelines, they're not in the game. And here's the thing, Jesus doesn't want fans. He doesn't want fans, he never did. He wants followers, faithful followers. He wants people who are going to get in the game. He he wants people who are going to participate, who are going to join him in the field there. He doesn't want fans who just know about him. He wants followers who are walking with him. And he also wants followers that not only walk with him, but choose him. Choose him to be at the top of their list. Choose him to be number one, first and foremost, numero uno. That's what it means to be a follower, that Jesus is first. Now we're going to take a look at some scripture found in Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you can open to that. And also we'll have all the scriptures up on the screen. We're going to find out now just how serious 
Jesus is about being a fan or a follower. Mm -hmm. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. All right, so here we have a crowd. How big was the crowd? Large. Okay, large crowd. See, this large crowd has, they've heard of this miracle man, this man that could make the blind see, that the lame could walk, that could calm the sea, that could feed 5,000 with just a little bit of bread and some fish. And so whenever Jesus was around, people swarmed him, there was a crowd. And how big was the crowd? Large, a large crowd. Can you picture the scene? Can you picture when Jesus walks in? He's like a rock star. He's like one of those sports guys, a, a movie star. Wherever Jesus was, the crowds followed. And up to this point, Jesus has used these crowd gatherings as opportunities to teach, opportunities to share with them the glorious, miraculous possibilities when God is there, when we're tuned into God. Up to now, Jesus has allowed these people to just be fans not followers, casual observers, not dedicated disciples. But the time is a changing right here and right now. This is what we're going to call a DTR moment. DTR, that means define the relationship. It's that moment when it's time to fish or cut bait, the time when it's decide whether you're in or whether you're out. <clears throat> you know, sooner or later, with every relationship, serious relationship, there's a DTR moment. If you're married or you've ever been in a serious romantical type relationship, you've had a DTR moment. Can I have an amen on that? <clears throat> you know, that point where you had to decide how serious you were about this relationship, just how important that other person was, point at which a decision had to be made in which the terms of the relationship were defined and where that relationship was going. So this is not the first time that there was a DTR moment that Jesus called for. He had done that individually, one-on-one, -on -one, or in small groups prior to this. But now Jesus was addressing a crowd. How big was the crowd? A large crowd. And it is DTR time. It is define the relationship moment time. Fish or cut bait. Are you in or are you out time? That's what time it was. In front of a, what crowd? Large crowd. Jesus tells them in no uncertain terms what it means to be a follower and what it means to be a fan. He tells them flat out the cost of being a disciple, a follower of Christ. And the cost is very high. The cost is very, very high. So this scripture is very uh, curious because he tells the crowd that one must hate. One must hate. That's not a word that we would typically associate with Jesus coming out of Jesus' mouth. One must hate one's family, father, mother, brothers, sisters, even one's own life. 
if they are going to be a disciple. Mm. Hey, can you say that word? Isn't that just an ugly word? That's not even a hard word to say, isn't it? Hate. And yet that's the word Jesus uses. To dislike something intensely. To have feelings of intense hostility. This is so contrary to all of Jesus' other teachings. Amen? His teaching, he teaches about love. Say love. Isn't that a much better word coming off your tongue than hate? Love. He's a love teacher. And yet he says, you know, always he love your neighbor as yourself and... Wouldn't your closest neighbor be your family? Yeah, and, and, and so he talks about this hate business. Um, what can he be talking about here? Maybe another couple of translations. Maybe they'll help us see it. The New Living Translation puts this uh, little scripture like this. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison, is the way it describes it. Or the message version of scripture says this, says, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self, can't be my disciple. Now, sometimes we tend to try to soften. It's kind of a human nature thing to soften what Jesus is saying. We don't really do it intentionally, but, you know, we don't want to step on toes. And when I say we, I mean all of us when we talk but I'll tell you what, we wish we could do that here, and we cannot. We cannot. Uh, this is what it would look like if we did. Maybe he's just talking to a select few. Maybe he's talking to a few individuals in the group, the pastors in the crowd, those who are going to go to seminary and become pastors. Uh, maybe he's talking to those who he's called into full-time ministry, um, and everybody else, all, you know, everybody else can just say, Whew, thank you. You are not talking to me. <laughs> but that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says anyone. The scripture is Jesus is talking to a large crowd. He's not talking to individuals. The large crowd, a big group of unidentified people, general in nature, nobody being singled out. And right in the middle, he uses the word anyone. Anyone, if anyone comes to me, anyone, anyone who doesn't hate their family cannot be my disciple. Ouch! But that's what Jesus says. He is not mincing words here, is he? I mean, do you feel like your toes are getting stepped on a little bit? I do when I read this scripture. He is not speaking to a specific subgroup, but he is speaking to all of us. Mm. So what's he talking about here? Because all of a sudden he, he's a, a, he preaches love, 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 and then he uses the hate word. And that's just, you know, you got to say, how does this fit in? It, it's got to make sense somehow. Okay, maybe this word hate is intended not to say I hate you so much as it's termed to separate our relationship with Jesus from every other relationship we have. Let me repeat that separate this relationship with Jesus so that it is different than every other relationship we have. This word hate then would be to separate ourselves with Jesus from, from the ones with our families, to, to make a distinct difference between those relationships. In other words, to be a, a disciple of Jesus Christ means that Jesus is not just one among many, 
It means that Jesus stands alone. He is our one and only, no competition, not one amidst the many that we would love. Does that make sense? <clears throat> it's kind of like what happens when, um, when we decide to get married. And we have that define the relationship moment, you know. And, and we talk to that very special someone, the one and only. Check it out. What if when I was, that moment came for me and Carrie, and I said, you know, Carrie, I, gosh, you, you're so important to me. I, I want you to be uh, my wife. I want us to travel through life together. I, I, I want to take this to a level unlike we've ever known before, but there's just one condition. I still want to see other people. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Yeah, I don't think I would have survived that being wherever we were at that moment, you know? <laughs> Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> yeah, because, um, you know, at that moment, you're either, you better either be in or out, right? You better either be in or out. That defining the, defines, the mo, uh, defines the relationship as you're it. You're my one and only, and that's what Jesus wants. It's not like I'm one among the many. I got to be it. I have got to be the most important relationship in your life. If you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be a follower, rather than just being a fan. The cool thing about that is when Jesus is at the top shelf, on the top shelf, numero uno, and all those other relationships come next, they're so much richer and they're so much better because Jesus is driving them. So that, that's really awesome. Now a fan, we're talking about fans and followers, a fan would say, I love you, Jesus, I'm committed to you, but let's not be exclusive. So here's um, one, let's say, um, Alan, I love you. I'm, I can see this is not gonna be good. I'm, I'm committed just to you, and so I'm out with my friends and I show the picture of my guy right there, but under that picture, I've got three or four others. Yeah. Who are they? <laughs> I want names. <laughs> but that's what it's like. If, if we're saying that Jesus is not number one, or Alan is not number two in my life, you know, there's an exclusivity to being a follower. And then the scripture goes on to say, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Okay, I go, what does that mean? I mean, who here has actually carried a cross the last month or two? Right. Now, Jesus carried his cross. They, they made the guy who was going to be, you know, crucified carry a cross. How brutal was that? And, you know, that cross, hanging on the cross, was one of the most brutal forms of execution ever devised by humankind. But Jesus says, we've got to carry a cross. Well, we don't do that, do we? we, we not, nobody's here is most likely going to be hung on a cross. So what can he be meaning by we've got to carry the cross? Well... How about this? That cross is a symbol of death, an extreme symbol of death. So if we carry the cross, 
it would symbolize a kind of death, in our case, a death to ourselves, a death, death of what we want, a death of our will, a death of my choice, a death of uh, what I want to do in favor of what Christ would call me to do. Does that make sense? Carrying my cross kills my will and opens me up to God's will. So our focus then is no longer on my plans for my life, but on God's plans, God's desire for us. And as a result, his will, God's will, not my will, be done. So that's what it means to be a follower rather than a fan. Uh, We've been looking at Luke chapter 14, and Jesus goes on to talk about the cost. He talks about building a tower and how someone uh, would first sit down and calculate the cost before they started building the tower. Otherwise, they would just look foolish when they had the foundation and they couldn't continue to build the building. They hadn't calculated the cost. Some of you, many of you may know that there's 27 acres of land that God set aside three miles north and we just uh, have had a wonderful the future is now campaign where money is committed over three years to build that church right now though we haven't started the foundation we haven't dug anything in the dirt yet that's because over the next i don't know how many months we're going to be in a process of calculating the cost we know what we have uh, come in over time, but we have to calculate the cost. Otherwise, we'd get started, and then everything would come to a a, a big stop. And that's just not wise. We must calculate the cost. And then Jesus uh, uses the example of a king who's about to go to war. Now, before that king begins, though, Jesus says he should sit down and calculate whether he has the, uh, the troops, the manpower, to win that war. If not, he will negotiate terms of peace rather than lose everything in a war that he cannot win. It's interesting. Before we ever even started that capital campaign, we we hired a coach, uh, Doug Turner, and the first thing Doug Doug did was kind of do an assessment, uh, the lay of the land, so to speak, did an assessment of the spiritual, uh, uh, where we are spiritually in this congregation. If we were spiritually ready to make that kind of a commitment that was going to be necessary to build this building. So he did some interviews, did some surveys, and the bottom line was what found was, yes, in fact, uh, the spiritual landscape here was uh, ready, uh, very much ready for what we proceeded to do with that cam- campaign there. It says, in the same way, then, Jesus tells us, anyone who does not give up everything, did you hear that? Who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Now see, we need to understand, to be aware of, to calculate the cost of being a follower of Jesus because the cost is high. You heard Dave Rosenblatt in that, uh, uh, by the way, kudos to Dave for being so vulnerable there. Uh, That's a very high cost, isn't it, that he shared there, uh, uh, a separation from family and friends to follow Jesus. It's a very high cost. And the thing is, not everyone is willing to, to pay that cost, to give what it takes. You know, uh, Jesus, it's free, uh, what, uh, 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 salvation, but, but it is costly, isn't it? 
It's free, but it's costly. And not everyone's willing to pay that cost, and the cost is everything. The cost of being a disciple, of being a follower of Jesus, and not just a fan. The cost of giving all that we have, all that we have in order to follow the one and only Savior of the world, Jesus the Christ. So our scripture has been Luke chapter 14. We just want to go back a little bit to Luke chapter 9. And this is where Jesus has individual conversations, kind of one-on-one. And he actually talks to three different people who seem eager to follow Jesus until they consider the cost. And then we find out that they really are fans rather than followers. Mm. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is a tough scripture, isn't it? We read this and we say, Man, can Jesus be that cold? How unsympathetic. I mean, the guy says, let me go bury my father. And he says, let the dead bury the dead. Wow, unbelievable. Here's the thing. Is the guy's father even dead yet? We don't know. He may be saying, you know what? Uh, My dad, when he dies, which could be 20 years from now. See, maybe my dad really doesn't like this idea of following you. So I'm going to wait till he's dead and gone. So I don't have that challenge of having to go contrary to him. When, <coughs> let me bury him, and then, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. See, the guy is coming up with an excuse, isn't he? He's coming up with an excuse for not following Jesus now, and Jesus ain't buying it because he knows better. We see at the bottom, still the other man said, just let me go back and say goodbye to my family, and Jesus is no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. That is just really a toe stopper, and we're wondering what in the world. But Jesus is saying, you know what? No excuses. Don't delay. You're either in or you're out. No looking back. No longing for the past. It's like that song some of us grew up with, you know, I have decided to follow Jesus. And at the end, it's no turning back, no turning back. Yeah, no turning back. You know, here's the thing. Jesus is not our buddy. He's not our homeboy. He's not a good old boy who just wants to make us feel good. He is calling us to discipleship. He's calling us to be faithful followers, not just fickle, excuse-ridden fans. Faithful followers not fickle, excuse-ridden fans. And let's face it, we all have excuses, amen? 
We've all had an excuse. I've had them, Gary. We've all had excuses for not doing what Jesus calls us to do, and most especially not fully following like he calls us to do. He calls for a decision, and he calls for it when? 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 Now. Not later, because later, 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 it never comes, does it? It never comes. You know, consider the contrast of these three guys that we just read about who come up with excuse after later, 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 later. And remember when Jesus was down by the seashore and he called to, to Peter and his brother Andrew and he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. Remember that? He called them and you remember what the scripture said? It said at once, at once they dropped their nets and at once didn't say, let me, let me put the fish, let me put my, let me untangle my net, let me put the boat. At once, they followed. No turning back. And just a few minutes later, same thing with these other fisher guys, James and John. We're told in the scripture, they immediately left their boat and their father, Zebedee. In other words, left their business left their livelihood, left everything they knew, including their father. They left it all and at once followed Jesus. So we read about that, and it took place 2,000 years ago. But it still applies today. I have a real-life example, my own life in this. So we're trucking along pretty good. Everything's going great. Uh, I was a nurse, God calls me into ministry. After about an eight year, no, 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 delay, 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 I'm like, okay, finally, I will, I will, I will. And so I'm in seminary, we have four kids, Turner was baby, and things are going good, Alan was making the big bucks, doing insurance work, and we had a nice house, everything was cool. And then about two years into my seminary, Studies, and I was appointed to a church as an associate pastor, um, Alan gets his call to ministry. Well, the ramifications of that call rocked our world, rocked my world. Uh, I'll get real. Because that meant putting the for sale sign up in front of the house. That meant a lifestyle that went from here to here. That meant a lot. And so here's what the conversation was. Like, Alan, can't you just wait until I'm done? Can't you just wait? You know, somebody's got to be home. Somebody's got to take care of kids while I'm doing my thing. You know, I've been supporting you all these years. It's my turn. I don't know if I said that, but that's how I felt. You said a whole lot more than that. I did. <laughs> just it, saying. I'm telling you, it was a lot of ugly months. It was a simple answer, though. No. I can't That's wait. That's true. Because <laughs> putting it off, doing it in my time, certainly would have completely changed our lives in a different way. You know, our kids got to see God at work. They experienced uh, their own faith journey through this. We certainly did. And I'm telling you, we would not be standing here at Connection Church that might not even exist if that decision 
like he would have said, okay, Carrie, if that had been made, and that certainly would not have been God's will. No turning back, no turning back. And those were, that was not easy. It was not easy. There were some very challenging times there. So then the question today is, how about you? What about you? The cost of discipleship, are you willing to pay the cost? Or you want to be a follower, a faithful follower, or merely a fan? Are you up in the stands cheering it on, yay Jesus, go Jesus? Or are you down there on the field, shoulder to shoulder, listening to what Jesus is calling you to do? And some of you are going to say, I'm there. And with that, I say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But a lot of us are just still fans. And the question is, what's it going to take? What's it going to take to get out of the stands and say, Jesus, you are number one in my life. I'm not just a fan, I'm a follower. I'm not just cheering you on, but I'm there with you in the trenches. Tell me what you want me to do. What's it going to take? Is it going to be more excuses? Because we always have excuses. I know I've had plenty of them over the years and still do. Is it going to be excuses? Or are we going to say, um, here I am, Lord, take me, take me. I think for many of you, today might be the day. I think today is the day where you say, okay, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. So I'm going to encourage you when we have our final prayer here. Just open your arms up like this and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't save myself. I'm yours. Take me. You can say that from your seat. You can say it from up here on the steps. I know Steve would love, and Ron would love to pray with you in the back there. Amen, Steve? If you want somebody to kind of walk you through that, it's a real simple thing. All you got to do is say, Jesus, I'm yours. And that'll change from being a fan to a follower from being in the stands to giving your life. And your whole life will change. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Most holy God, I pray that each one here would know you in a new and a profound way. I pray that each one here would be open to your saving grace. I, I pray your Holy Spirit would visit us here, right here, right now, Lord. You would open us to your Holy Spirit and that we would know that it's time to get out of the stands and to come down and say, Jesus, I am yours. I'm opening my arms, Lord, opening to you. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't save myself. I need you in my life. You are my Savior. I am yours. I pray that each one here would know you in a new and profoundly different way, either for the first time or for the thousandth time. Most holy Lord Jesus, I thank you, we praise you, and we glorify your holy name. It's in your name and in your Holy Spirit we pray. All Connection Church said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church, please visit our website at connectioncc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash connectioncc. You can also contact our church office at 
7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life he offers.